Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. It's my favorite time of the year and maybe your favorite episode of the year. I should look at the stats. This may be the most skipped episode of the year because everybody's busy. It's the annual Christmas episode. <laughs> we need some Christmas music or something. I don't know. That's not very, that's not very Christmassy, but it's, it's got some chimes in it. And I'm here as always. Well, every annual Christmas episode with Mr. Christmas himself, Ronnie Martin. How are you, man? Hey man, I'm I am overjoyed to be here yeah. as Mr. Christmas as Mr. for Christmas. the Christmas episode. Absolutely, Ronnie Martin it. is uh, lead pastor and founding pastor of Substance Church in Ashland, Ohio, and director of Leader Renewal. Is that right? That's it. Leader of Director Renewal for the Harbor Network, and he's author of numerous books, including uh, we don't know yet what the stats are on our Advent Civil War, the Advent New Advent book which by this time, by the time people are listening to this, they would have already missed the first 20 entries or so. Uh, but the God yeah, who is with us, yeah. buy, not, it, buy it oh, now for next Advent. Right, right now, yeah. That, uh, you know, yeah, I probably should have the, uh, the stats for our Christmas episode, but um, we're recording this in October, so I don't know what the stats on our Advent books are. But we're going to talk <laughs> about Christmas movies. In past Christmas episodes, we've talked about our favorite Christmassy things, and we've probably talked about what our favorite Christmas movies yeah. are. I wanted to go deeper and make this purely about redemptive moments in our favorite Christmas movies or just in Christmas movies. You're, I mean, you have a stack of Christmas movies. Are you a Christmas movie guy? Surely. Oh, man, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. We have our favorites. You know, Christmas movies are funny because you go through, you know, now that we only have Marvel movies that come out, you know, uh, <laughs> on Fridays, um, it's, it's like there was a time when you could always depend on a new Christmas movie coming out yeah. almost every year, every other year. And now it's like they're super rare. It feels like. Well, so, unless you like you're watching the Hallmark Channel or something like well, that. Well, right. Exactly. I like and I don't really count everywhere. that necessarily, but yeah. I saw um, that Lindsay Lohan, her big comeback is a Christmas movie. No Did kidding. You hear that? Yeah, there's a Netflix Christmas no. movie. I, maybe I shouldn't be mentioning it. It might not be for all audiences. I, I don't know. I just saw the advertisement yeah. that uh, her big comeback is going to be a Netflix Christmas movie. And it actually looks like I saw the cover of it. So I don't know anything about the movie other than this little blur oh, man. that I saw on, on social media. The well, cover I can't of it say looks. That I'm on the edge of my seat. It, lo- it looks just <laughs> like one of those Hallmark Christmas movies. Like, she's yeah. like in a cocktail dress and the guy's like in flannel. And all I'm picturing is she's the businesswoman who gets stuck in the small town on her yes. way through to the big business meeting or whatever it is, or she's going to meet with a client or she's got to go, you know, I don't know, get grandpa's inheritance or something. And she gets, <laughs> she gets stuck in a snowstorm or, or something happens and, of course, falls in love with the lumberjack who works at the coffee shop or whatever it is. Lindsay right? must be 42 now, right? I mean, what, how old? <laughs> what are we talking Yeah, maybe. But I mean, are well, you saying forty-two-year-olds can't fall in love? No, not at all. I'm just—I always <laughs> think of her as being like making those movies at like fifteen years old or whatever she was, and then oh, right. she's had such a long hiatus. You know, like I don't even know. Yeah, she's thirty-six years old. Well, but so. all those—I'm mean, not trying to disparage older actresses. I mean, I'm of course not forty-seven years old, so I'm not trying to disparage a forty-two-year-old as being old. But <laughs> actresses of that generation, this is where they end up, is it not? That all the teen actresses. 
for whatever reason, yeah. the Nickelodeon stars and the team, you know, they all end up in these Hallmark Christmas yeah. movies now. Anyway. Yeah, if they don't go on to be the next Meryl Streep, that's, that is where they end up, <laughs> that's right? right. Yeah. Uh, did Meryl Streep ever do a Christmas movie? I can't think of a Christmas movie that Meryl Streep Oh, gosh. You know what? I, that's such a great question. I don't, I don't recall anything yeah. that she would have done in that genre. Yeah. Man, I love Christmas movies like you do. We have a whole section. So we still have DVDs and Blu-rays. I know people will make fun of me for that, but I like the tangibility of them. I don't download movies on, you know, streaming or anything like that onto my computer or phone or anything. We actually buy movies that we like and and collect those things. And we have a section that's just Christmas movies. And so when December 1st hits, usually actually before that, it's usually last week in November or so. Thanksgiving, I pull that section out and I put it up on the mantle so that we have the stack. These these are the Christmas movies we want to try to get through. And, yeah. and I'll put them in order of like definitely must watch to if we have time watch. And then the then it's the game is on of like not just trying to get through the definitely must watch before December 25th, but also spacing them out that you don't watch the best ones too soon. Do you do that? Hundred percent. Like, yeah. You know, my favorite is "It's a Wonderful Life," which I'll talk about here shortly. I don't want to watch that on December seventh. It has to be the closest to Christmas Day as possible. Sometimes even on Christmas Day, you know, Christmas yeah. evening, perhaps. But my favorite ones, yeah, I try to like save them, almost like dessert. You know, I want to, I want to really cherish it, and I don't want to put it up too close. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to consume it too soon. So I'll, I'll have the Fred clauses and the Four Christmases and some of those <laughs> early in the month, just, you know, but then later. They're a little more throwaway. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're and then later in the month, away. I want yeah. the Home like home Alone, probably my second favorite, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. What about you? So favorite Christmas movie? Well, I really love the story Christmas of, you know, Christmas, Dickens' Christmas Carol. Um, my favorite version of it is the one with George C. Scott made in 1984, which it looks a little 1984 now when you watch it. Okay. That's fine. That's that's part of the charm, you know. But it's George C. Scott who, you know, obviously is this incredible Academy Award winning legendary actor. He used to be. But he just plays, to me, he's the best, meanest, grumpiest, authentically scroogiest Scrooge. <laughs> okay. So, and it's like believable, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like he's acting. It just feels like. Like when you, if you ever like saw George C. Scott in anything, it's just basically him acting like George C. Scott, okay, who kind of was, seemed a little curmudgeonly anyway, right? And um, maybe that's wrong. That's probably, you know, people that knew him probably said, no, he's the opposite, but I didn't know him. So, but that is my absolute favorite. I love that story. Um, the, that is a gospel soaked story. Oh, for sure. I mean, there, yeah. there is so much you can draw from, from Christmas Carol, you know, it's, uh, and again, not knowing where Dickens was at, I've read biographies on Dickens about his spiritual life and this, that, and the other. So I don't think he wrote it for those purposes necessarily. But like the redemptive end of that, of the Christmas Carol, I mean, it literally is, you know, a, just a portrait of the gospel. It has a lot of deep meaning. And I just, I love the characters in it. I love the sadness to it. There's a lot of looking back. There's a lot of Scrooge looking back into his life. And wishing things could be different. One of the things I love about movies and stories is when there is kind of a what might have been theme kind of that permeates them because that is always so sad to me. And Christmas Carol is the ultimate what might have been. Like his life could have been so different. And yet, in the end, 
he comes around, he turns around and his life wasn't meaningless as the result of his heart, you know, being changed. So, um, I don't know what it is. Uh, That story just gets me every time. Yeah. The, I mean, it's, it's the prototypical picture of transformation of someone's, of of heart change that he goes from, of course. I mean, there's a reason why a Scrooge has become, you know, an adjective for anybody who's, who's grumpy and stingy and everything else. Don't be such a Scrooge. He goes from, you know, his namesake character to this open-hearted, generous, yeah. full of Christmas spirit. And that's kind of, you know, become, I guess, the the iconic uh, transformation for all Christmas movies. So it many, really has been. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, 90% of them operate with some variation of Christmas carol type themes in them. One of my favorite m- more modern ones is A Family Man. I don't know if, oh, if, yeah. if you like Family yeah. Man. I think a little underrated Family Man because people it's I think it's, so. it's in in fashion now to hate on Nicolas Cage for some reason they they think he's because he does all these terrible movies they, they think he's a terrible person. He's he's somewhat understated in this movie. He's doing kind of the yes. the sedate. I mean there's moments of kind of him, you know, Very Nicolas out. Cage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The yeah. peacock, you know, has got to strut every now and again. But he's more he's more sedate in this movie, and it's the classic kind of Christmas Carol type thing. Like it what is. would have been? He's a stingy. I don't think he's a Wall Street guy, or he's just he's a big a business guy. Business guy, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he gets a glimpse, you know, of what life would have been like if he had married his girlfriend and had a family. And da, da, da. you know, it's not on my list of, of redemptive moments, but it has that kind of redemption thing. It does. Family's more important than money, and that sort of deal. Yeah. Very understated. I know. I never think about that one, and it's very sad. It's an incredibly sad movie, so it's hard for my wife. Hard for my oh. wife to, to ever want to watch it because she's all, "Oh, it's so depressing." Even in the end, even though the end is somewhat redemptive, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not like you see the dream realized. I think they know. added that because of, if if I remember right, I remember reading about this. The original ending, they don't end up together. He has this whole glimpse. And then, oh, and then there's okay. a whole scene where he goes finally to catch up with her. He's yeah, going to yeah, be like, yeah. hey, let's give it a try. And she's like, no, I've moved on. What are you talking about? Like that's the realistic ending, and that's kind of how it ended. And so the movie was going to be like a cautionary tale. And, of course, oh. audience screenings were like, what are you kidding me? This is the most depressing thing. And so they added yeah. that moment, classic, stereotypical, running to the airport to stop her from getting on the plane, which is like in every you know romantic comedy right. type thing. Yeah. And he stops her, and then it ends with them having this conversation, um, and the credits are rolling while they're at a table. Yeah. She doesn't. There's, so, there's like there's yeah. some hope in. There's hope there's in some, it, right? Yeah, she yeah. she you doesn't don't know get what's on the plane. So, yeah. I know, and it's yeah. weird not to not to rabbit that, but I mean that's a that that theme introduced in Christmas Carol. You see that in Family Man. That's a hard theme. That's really hard for me. That idea of what might have been, that mm. regret. It's why one of the hardest movies in the world, which I saw at Christmas time years ago, for me to watch. I, is a La La Land. Oh, interesting. I, I really love that movie. Yeah. But it um it just ends with so much regret and so much what might have been. I my heart can't handle it. Yeah, there's something the kind of melancholy of nostalgia is super big. Yeah. I get it in little flashes of movies that aren't really built around that or aren't even serious movies like Christmas yeah. Vacation, for instance. <laughs> The, the the there's two moments in Christmas Vacation. There's the moment before he starts, you know, getting crude during the shopping scene where he's talking to the lady at the at the department store. Mm-hmm. Where they're just 
it just it's just showing scenes of Christmas shopping, and there's music, Christmas music playing. I think it's a band playing. There's something about that. I, I've never lived in New York City. I've never gone Christmas shopping in New York City. But scenes like that do something for me. I don't. I don't understand what it I is. Know, they kind of get me. They, yeah. I don't know. Something yearns in me. And then, of course, when he's trapped in the attic and he's watching the old family films, and you have Ray, yes. Ray Charles comes on the soundtrack, and he's watching these old home movies. Yeah. There's something about that scene which is just you know it just kind of does something for me as well in a I in know. a movie that is not sentimental really. <laughs> at all and kind of make right. fun of, of sentiment. All right, so let's talk about some redemptive moments in Christmas movies. I've got three that I kind of jotted down. So I'll go first. My first favorite redemptive moment in a Christmas movie is, again, in a movie that itself isn't particularly – I mean, it has, I guess, an, an idea of this transformation, a changed heart. But it's Fred Claus, not for all audiences. I mean, it's not rated R or anything, but it, it's not a children's movie. But it, it's kind of capitalizing. It stars Vince Vaughn as Fred Claus, Santa Claus's brother. And <laughs> I think it was trying to kind of capitalize off the success of Elf. You cast this grown yeah. – you put this grown man, sure. comedian, into a fantastical scenario. He's in Santa Claus's family. So there are elves in the movie. There is – he does go to the North Pole in the movie. But it has a harder edge, of course, than Elf. Elf is a lot is a lot more sweet because yeah, Fred sure. Claus is mad. He's bitter. He has kind of a scroogey heart because he's always lived in the shadow of his younger brother, Chris, I guess, or I'm sorry, Nicholas, St. Nicholas, who becomes Santa Claus. And he always is in the shadow uh, who's played by Paul Giamatti. Um, and it's fantastic. He's like— One of the greatest Santas ever. He's one of the greatest Santas ever. He's Literally. He's so good— but he also struggles with sleep apnea, and <laughs> he's struggling. He's got a weight problem that his wife is constantly, you know, he does too many Christmas too cookies. Many, too, too, many, too much sugar. <laughs> yeah, and he and he loves his brother, and he wants to take care of his brother. It's actually a really sweet, you know, Santa Claus, but he's beleaguered also. So Fred goes to work for his brother to make some It's a complicated story. He's got to, like, he needs some money. He needs a small business loan, basically. To open up a, I think it's a gambling parlor he wants to open up in <laughs> da- downtown Chicago. Not a great guy, Fred Claus. But he goes to work for his brother. And there's this moment where one of the jobs he has is to watch kids and you mark the file naughty or nice, right? So you're deciding who's getting gifts basically for Christmas. And Fred has such a heart, himself being a misunderstood, rough around yeah. the edges guy, he has a heart for the kids that are naughty. And he sees, in fact, there's this uh, orphan kid that he had befriended back in Chicago who is on the naughty list. And he's like, and, he, and in his mind, this isn't right because he knows that his friend is an orphan, that he comes from a troubled background, that, um, that he's just lashing out because he's a kid and doesn't know how to, he's never been taught or, or raised or anything like that. And so he has this stack of kids. The scene is he's got the nice stamp. And without any dis, you know, any regard for any of these kids' behavior or background or anything, he's just stamping them all nice, nice, <laughs> nice, 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 over and over and over again, which like shuts down, of course, the it ruins the efficiency for the Santa Claus Enterprises. They can't make that many <laughs> they, they, toys. I'm sorry, they can't make that many toys. You can't deliver that many toys to that many people. But in Fred's mind, no, they're all nice. And to me, it's become a picture. I just love this scene, the defiant mm-hmm. declaration of nice. 
to me is like the justification of sinners. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's this endless succession of people who it's do not deserve. Yes, we are yeah. objectively naughty. We are worse than naughty, actually. We are objectively on the bad list and def- in defiance, regardless, in spite of our past, in spite of our behavior, we are declared virtuous. We're declared nice, the stamp. So I just love that scene. It just does something a little for me. The rest of the movie is just, you know, kind of a dumb, enjoyable comedy. But that moment in particular. It's awesome. Really does it for me. There's a lot of that in that movie. And besides all that too, it is kind of like a, uh, it's it's sort of like a B movie version of Elf in the sense that it, it has not gotten that kind of like classic acclaim. Yeah. But it really, it's a movie that when I first saw it, I was like, ah, and then I saw it the next year again, just for fun, and yeah. I loved it. And so it really grew on me. And I don't think, I mean, yeah, you might not want a little kid, but I think, I think any kid that was 10 or 11 or older, 12, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, don't, it's, I think it's PG-13 maybe, so somewhere oh, in that, in that okay. range. Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, it might but, be PG, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I think older kids probably are right. I mean, there's nothing like dirty in it. I, I don't, no, there's know. nothing scandalous it, in yeah. it. Uh, absolutely. Good deal. Okay, so you got one? What's a redemptive moment? Okay, so I already told you about Christmas Carol, another one of my favorite movies of all time, and it always gets lumped in with Christmas, so you can argue that it is and it isn't. One of those, right, is uh, Little Women. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I love Little Women. I love the story of Little Women, and I especially like the 1994 version starring Winona Ryder as Joe, and I just think it's the best one that's been made. And It's just, that's my opinion. But what I love, there's a Love thematically, again, it's it's one of those ultimate what might have been movies. And everybody knows the story where you have Joe, who's just one of four sisters living, you know, in you know, as part of the March family. Dad is off to war. And you're seeing a family and a culture just going through all these different changes. You're seeing these these four sisters growing up in a rapidly changing family and culture. And Joe is just kind of the one in the family that's stuck. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't just conform to all the societal norms of the time. And the next door neighbor, Lori, falls in love with her, but she does not love him. They're just friends and she can't, that's as far as it goes for her. And so she eventually goes off to, I think, New York City, gets a job as a nanny, and eventually falls in love with one of the uh, German professors that's also there teaching at the university. But what I love about it from a redemptive standpoint is it, it takes us through the uncertainties of life. It takes us through the moments where we can't see what's around the corner and we think we know what God, how God is working or what he's up to. We think our fate is sealed and in reality it isn't. And God is always able to introduce new things that then allow us to look back and point at the path we were on and seeing how it was actually always leading to those places the whole time, even through the disappointments. And so she ends up with this German professor, the very last scene of the movie. And it's just, it's really beautiful. And it's really sad at the same time, because most things that are beautiful are kind of sad too. But it really points to this, to me, this idea that you face so many disappointments in our life, so many things that we had an idealistic view on that we were hoping would turn out the way we wanted them to turn out. But for whatever reason, they didn't. And yet, there's something else that God had intended through it. And again, that's a theme through, through scripture as well. But that's why I love Little Women. That's one of the reasons why I like it. It's a great story too. But it's a heartbreaker in that. But in the end, 
everybody is united with the person they were always intended to be united with. And there uh, it is. That's sweet. That's good. Hey, I just looked it up. Fred Claus is PG, actually. So, there we go. So PG. So parental guidance suggested, but um, yeah. PG. Pretty pretty fairly clean, though. Fairly yeah, yeah, yeah. cleanish. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I think it's because it's Vince Vaughn, maybe. I think there's a couple of things that are maybe, maybe make over yeah. kids' heads. There's a couple of jokes maybe that adults would get, but kids wouldn't. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, something like that. I and that's so. maybe what, what I was thinking about. So, okay, so my second one is Arthur Christmas. You ever seen Arthur Christmas? I haven't, but dude, I think you told me to see oh, that man, it is last so good. year. I, I forgot. I think I, I'll, I, I'll do it this year. Yeah, and this I year for sure. they might have like sequels to it now. I haven't seen any of those. At least I don't think I have. It's an animated film. It's another one that centers on the Santa Claus family. And, and, and so here's the premise. Arthur comes from a line of Santa Clauses. The idea is that Santa Claus is like a, a generational thing, you know, descendants thing. His father is the current Santa Claus on the verge of retirement. And okay. he lives at the North Pole, Santa Claus with his wife and his father, who they call Grand Santa. So Grand Santa's there, and then you've got Santa Claus. And and, and then Santa Claus has two sons, Steve and Arthur. And oh, St- Steve is the older Santa brother. Santa really name his son Steve? I don't know. <laughs> Stephen, maybe like honest? the Feast of Stephen. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, there is a Christmas connection to Stephen, I think. All right, um, all right. So, so Steve... Um, is the older son. He's the natural heir to the Santa Claus throne. He's big. He's good looking. He's strong. He's efficient. He's shiny. He's ambitious. And he very much is looking forward to inheriting, you know, the mantle of being Santa Claus. Arthur is a younger brother. He's dorky. He's weak. He's clumsy. He's small. He's meek. He messes a lot of things up. He's got a lot of big ideas, but he can't really pull them off. He's all heart. Very little, you know, being able to to execute basically, and he and he screws a lot of things up. Mm. So he's kind of looked down on a little bit, and kind of saying, "Oh, that's just Arthur." You know, we just kind of. But Arthur's the one who really has the spirit of Christmas, of course, as you can imagine. And what happens? the The plot is uh, a gift goes undelivered. They Santa Claus comes back, and there's been some mishap where one little girl is not going to get a present because it got left behind somehow or got um, overlooked. For everyone else in the organization, this is just, it's just collateral damage. It's just something that's just part of the, it just happens. Mistakes happen. And for Arthur, this is a tragedy. There's a little girl who's not going to get a present for Christmas. And so the mission becomes delivering this gift to this girl before sunrise, which of course is beset with all sorts of problems. And so he goes out with the reindeer and he and Grand Santa actually, who's a you know hilarious character, this is a British production, so they all have these, you know, wonderful British accents. James McAvoy plays Arthur Christmas. I think Bill Nye is Grand Santa. It's just some great, some yeah. great characterization. But in the end, of course, when they finally get the present, um, and everyone pitches in finally at the end to get this present, the elves and everybody to get this present to this little girl whose name is Gwen. There's a moment where it's this climactic victory, and the Santa Claus folks are arguing over who's the one who's going to get to deliver the gift. They're like quarreling over who's going to, you know, finally deliver this gift. And Steve notices that Arthur isn't fighting. He's not jockeying uh, uh, for position. He's just happy that Gwen's going to get the gift. And that's the moment that Steve realizes Arthur should be the next Santa Claus. Oh, uh, and, and okay. It's, it's a very a meek shall inherit the earth kind of okay. moment. Um, and it's a funny movie. I mean, the whole movie is just funny. The animation's great. It's an exciting adventure film. Uh, it's one. Oh you, man, I gotta see it. Yeah, it's one you can watch with your kids, but it also just has this this richness to it and this great little 
sort of reversal of fortunes. Dude, I can't uh, wait. Thing. I'm yeah. super excited the way you just described it. Yeah, it's a I good movie. It's, it's a good movie. You got I love when I have something new. Okay. Yes. So I have a lot of nostalgia for this one um, because this was one of the big ones as a kid. A lot of it is because the soundtrack is brilliant. And okay. that, of course, is the Claymation Rudolph. Oh, I thought you were going to say Die Hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know. It's got a great know, soundtrack, Rudolph too. I'm not going to say Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But Claymation Rudolph. Rudolph. Is, um, there's just something about all the, the, I mean, the soundtrack is just incredible. The songs are great. Um, they're beautiful. And so it evokes just, I mean, I don't know, honestly, it's kind of strange to say, but I don't know that any of my Christmas memories from the seventies and eighties come flooding back like they do when that opening scene of Rudolph kicks in. I mean, it just destroys me mm. every year. But again, the, the redemptive moment is poor Rudolph. He's rejected by everybody because he was born with something that he had nothing to do with, right? Yeah. His red nose, his his uh, his his beak blinks like a blinking beacon, is what is, <laughs> is that what they say? Is what they said, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's really sad because not only does he get rejected by his friends, he gets rejected by um, he gets rejected by some of the the reindeer that pull Santa's sleigh, and he gets rejected by by Santa himself as being somebody that. You know, because he doesn't look like everybody else, you know, he can't play the reindeer games. He can't pull Santa's sleigh. So he finds these other two misfits, and that's what they call themselves. And they end up leaving the town. They end up coming back. And, of course, the end is that there's a big, big, big blizzard. And Santa eventually needs Rudolph to, you know, to pull the sleigh because they need that light. And um, because I guess they didn't have, you know, they, they didn't have electricity at the North Pole. <laughs> okay. So the only, they couldn't put a headlight on the sleigh, right? So, um, but I, obviously the redemptive moment is when um, it's a, it's really a story about forgiveness and Santa apologizes to Rudolph, even his, even his own dad, who was ashamed of him, oh. that he had a son that was born with a, with a nose like that. Um, because, you know, that, he was, that was a shameful thing for him. And, um, so they, they, at the end, it's just this, it's this big roundabout with this redemptive moment that they all have when they realize, um, you know, it's, it's what's on the inside, Jared, not oh. on the outside that makes the, the reindeer what the reindeer is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. but it's, a. I re I remember my dad. So this is so my dad, my dad used to hate that. He watched it every year, but he hated that movie huh. because he would say Santa is such a bigot in this movie, oh, you know? Yeah. And he, and he would always, he would make sure that we understood how wrong that was. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like well, dad, yeah, we get it. Yeah. You can't not like somebody yeah. because they have a red nose. We get it, you know? And, um, but it really, the injustice of it bothered him so much that he would always just sort of cry to high heaven about how horrible Santa Claus was in it. So we grew up understanding Santa was not a great guy until he asked yeah. forgiveness. And he, you know, so it's a bold, it was, uh, it's a bold move making Santa a kind of, I mean, he's not, he's, he's not a villain, but to make him, yeah, a, a disagreeable He was character. very uncharitable. He, yeah. he lacked, he, there was no grace. Hmm. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was interesting that it kind of shows our heroes are very flawed and, you know, it's, it's really the downtrodden and the downcast, um, that in the end, um, we realize have worth and, and value, you know, you know, I, I rarely watch some of those 
at Christmas time. I I have them that and yeah. of course like Frosty the Snowman mm-hmm. um, and the the several iterations of that. I've got those on on DVD as well. But there's I mean there's such a staple for especially for a particular generation for those of us who grew up oh, in the seventies okay. and eighties like these things came on every year and and like you would note this is the night coming up that Rudolph's going to be on or this is the night that Frosty's going to be on. Yes. And the big one was always the Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh yeah, hundred percent. The you know story, which you know I have on DVD as well. And man, it's so short. Like I I I forgot because I think they expanded it into. I mean, I think probably thirty minutes, maybe forty minutes or something like that. It had all those like Dolly Madison snack cake <laughs> commercials and different things. The whole thing is like. 19 minutes. I mean, it's like, it's so short. It's so short. I know. (laughs) But Charlie Brown gets such a bad rap. Of course he always does. But Charlie Brown is like, he's so abused in in that story. They hate Charlie Brown. Yes. And the big redemptive moment from that, which I never noticed until I think it was an author at TGC did a thing about Linus when he goes out to do the Christmas story, Luke chapter two, he drops his security blanket. So Linus, who always has his blanket. Yeah when he's doing the Christmas story, drops the blanket. Oh, I never and noticed it, that. Yeah, and it's like, I guess, symbolic of, of oh. something. I don't know. I don't need the security blanket. I have the gospel or something. I don't know. Wow, okay. Moment. All right, so here's my last one. Okay. The the mother of all Christmas movies, the father of all Christmas movies. I don't know if it's your favorite, but it's certainly mine. Not only is it my favorite Christmas movie, it's my third favorite movie of all time. If I'm making my top 10 list, this is number three for me. Frank Capra, 1946. Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, It's a Wonderful Life. It is definitely in my top three of all movies of all time. Every time I watch it, man, it's so long, and yet I'm sucked (laughs) in. It's not one of those like, oh, here comes the long whatever. No, there's not a – for me, it's just the buildup, the way it's pieced together, the development of the story – there's so much about it that it is all calculated towards that final moment of, you know, no man is poor if he has friends and all the, yes. the family. And, and that's not even the moment that I want to talk about, but that moment gets me every time. You know, to I my know. brother, the richest man in, in, in Bedford Falls. Yeah, yeah. That when, the, when his brother shows up, you know, he's, he's flown through the snowstorm and everyone's there to give the money to save the day. And they begin to sing Old Anxiety. And the music swells, and there's tears. Like, I get choked up. I don't know how many times I've seen it. it I, there's something. I get the shivers every single time. There's every just time. something about it. And it's earned by, you know, the two hours up to that moment, I think. You have to have all of that backstory yeah. to get there. You have to get the guy's life. And what's really interesting about it is how long it takes for him to get to that jumping in the I river know. moment. like. I know. It takes forever. Like his life story is basically told. It's like an hour and 45 minutes before Clarence jumps in to save him. And then you got a whole another 30 minutes of, you know, so it just feels I like. I never realized sh- that. It is so long. It is actually. Yeah. Incredibly, for that era, it's an incredibly long movie. Yeah. It, and it and it's, it feels like it shouldn't work. Like it like that, you know, it shouldn't work. But you have to live this guy's life with him to get to that payoff moment, I think. To both yeah. feel the despair of what he feels when he's going to jump. And then to feel the moment at the end. But there's two moments, redemptive moments that I think just go into the, um, you know, to the character of, you know, Jimmy Stewart's character. The first is when he saves his brother in the ice. Do you remember they're they're sledding on the snow shovels? 
and his brother falls into the crack in the ice and goes into the water and he goes and and saves his brother and that's what actually he has that bad ear for the rest yeah. of the whole the whole time he can't hear out of this ear it's because of what happened so you have this sort of the redemptive moment there because he's redeeming his brother from certain death and his brother goes on to be this incredible you know war hero and everything else which that would not have have happened if he hadn't saved him it's but then true. the other moment for me which just speaks to i think to I guess the spirit of this family, of this man, of the culture he's creating is when there's a run on the banks, do you remember? And everything's shutting down and everyone shows up to the the building and loan and they want to withdraw all their money. And, um, and he goes to kind of negotiate them down and kind of talk them off the ledge. He's giving them a little bit at a time just to get them through the next week or something. And they're running out of money. And then Mary shows up with their honeymoon cash. They just gotten married. Like literally, they're just married. They're getting in the car to go, to, I guess, to the airport for their honeymoon. When this happens, she shows up with their honeymoon cash, and he's giving his honeymoon cash out to these folks, yes. to these customers. And they've got $1 left at the end, which keeps them open. And that, to me, is like, first of all, man, if like it's between my honeymoon and you freaking out, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Go pound sand. I'm yeah. going on my honeymoon, right? No, yeah, but I'm going on my honeymoon. But That's he's thinking about the town. Ta- I mean, he's so the whole he's story selfless. is the whole story is about how he how selfless he is, and he's not a perfect guy because he begrudges that so often. He hates that he's yeah, stuck he's there. selfless, but he's not happy about it. Yeah, he's, he is like a generous guy, but he's not happy about yeah, it. So, yeah. So, in, in my mind, that makes it better in some sense. It's more realistic because he's not some yeah, kind of. True out there not thinking about it. He's a, it actually hurts him to give and it costs him to give, but he places other people before himself. And yeah. he, he genuinely does that. And I do think it's out of a love for that town and his father's legacy and what his father has done and against the evil, right, of Potter and every, you know, he doesn't want Absolutely. Potter to take over the town. There's just something about that scene, giving up your honeymoon to save the people around you. I don't know. It, 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 I know it's like connects to the gospel for me, but it does though. I I mean, it's such an, there's so much depth to his character in the sense that he's not acting on how he feels. He could have at any time said, Hey, whatever, I'm going to go out and realize my dreams. I don't care what happens to savings and loan. I've got, this is, this has been going on too long for me. If I don't realize my dreams now, they're never going to come true. You guys will be able, you, I don't care what happens to you. I need to do what I want to do. I mean, it's so, it's so opposite of like today's culture, which is like, go, you know, you do you go realize your dreams, you know? And it's such the opposite of really what we're being preached to today, which is like, don't, don't let anyone get between you and your dreams, follow your heart. You know, it's the, it's the anti that message. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, his dream ultimately, I mean, he, you know, he always wanted to travel and, and he just wanted to get out of Bedford Falls, but right. his, his higher dream was that his father's legacy and his father's love for the town would be preserved. And so he's in a sense dying to self. He's, he's sat, he's making a sacrifice over and over and over again for the sake of his, what his father has created and yeah. what his father sent, which is such a picture of the gospel. And, and you know, I mean, that's like literally the son sacrifices himself for the glory of the father. And he's, the glory on, the, of the, father, he's yeah. on the father's mission. And what's really interesting about It's a Wonderful Life is there's very little, you know, it's a Christmas movie, undoubtedly. I mean, it's not Christmas the whole time or anything. It's a Christmassy kind of movie. There's no explicit Jesus talk. There's no like nativity. No. I think there maybe there's a playing of a Christmas song at the end or something, but 
No, they do Auld Lang Syne and it never even gets, I mean, the there's one minute of Christmas Day in the entire movie at yeah, the end. Yeah. When the clock strikes 12, they're singing Auld Lang Syne. That's it for Christmas. Yeah. But it has that kind of Christmas carol thing as it well. Does. What might have been, but it's in reverse. It's not, here's the great life you would have had if you hadn't chosen all these evil things. It's basically, here's what terrible life you would have had or everyone else would have had if, if you hadn't have done had, all yeah. these great things. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like the reverse image of Christmas Carol because as he's questioning, like, I've wasted my life, and Clarence is basically, no, actually, not only have you not wasted your life, you've actually worked redemption in all these other people's life. They're yeah. better off for having known you, whether you know that or not. It's such a good movie. It's such a— George, you really did have a wonderful life. You really life. did have a wonderful life, yeah. And you know what I love about it, too, is that it's— arguably the greatest movie ever made. And if somebody says that, I'm going to thumbs, thumbs up them and be, agree with them. And what I love about it too is I can't imagine anybody else playing literally any yeah. one of those other characters but who played them. Yeah, like, that's there, good. There's nobody else that can play those characters. Yeah, you know? yeah you're absolutely right. I, I'm thinking like if they remade it today, and God forbid, I hope they would never remake this movie. Oh, please, They're remaking everything. It's no. so good. It's unremakable, although it's been remade in different ways, just like A Christmas Carol. It's kind of, sure. you know, yeah. there's been variations of this kind of thing. You could see someone like a Tom Hanks, maybe maybe 10, 15 years ago, Tom Hanks could play, because he's kind of the modern Jimmy Stewart, I guess. You know, yeah, he could I think have played so. the character. I mean, he definitely has the chops. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would be so hard to watch a new rendition of a, of a movie that iconic. Yeah. You just, yeah. I mean, I would watch it. I would go for it. But the whole time I'd be like, uh, I can't. I can only see Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, and he's so good. Just the little things that he mutters, and I know there's he's so much. Good, yeah, good. there's so much of just the little things in this movie that come about. They had to have been ad libbed, or at least just they're part of well, his personality. Yeah. Don't you think too? Because when you watch older movies, the acting style. This is what I find fascinating about it. The acting style in older movies was was you know the way they talked. It was very much more. Yeah, very you know, stiff. Yeah. Of, stiff and you know and they had that sort of transatlantic way where it's sort of a half british half american way of talking and you have you have jimmy stewart who's so conversational in his act it's almost like modern acting he it's real it's very naturalistic yeah it's now it's kind of like the way we're just talking right now and that's right. how he acts and so it was really a break even from the kind of acting that you normally saw at the time and i mean i don't know dude i mean one of the greatest performances ever yeah. what's interesting too is that that movie kind of flopped at the box office when it came out oh, i didn't know that it's those, yeah it's one of those ones that became bigger at through time yeah oh, it wasn't a big sure. success yeah, yeah i think i heard this actually it, it because it started airing around christmas time on television and, er, yes. and every, every year it would it would air and it became an event sort of thing now it's on every channel all day every day you know around the christmas season but yeah that's i think that's what enshrined it i wonder uh, similar to The Wizard of Oz, I think it was a success at the box office, but that became an event. I mean, I remember, I mean, that came out in 1939, 1930. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, you old, remember it's, a, it, it's an old, old movie. But what I remember is I'm a kid in 1982. Yeah. And it's an event that The Wizard of Oz is coming on TV. Oh, totally. We watched awesome. it every year. Oh, The Wizard of Oz is coming out this week. I mean, it, it was an annual thing of when this was going to be. It always came on television. around Easter. And Always at that time, right. it's a fifty-year-old movie. Like, there's nothing like that anymore. Yeah, you know where I mean? is our Frank Capra's today? I think is what you're saying. It, well, I'm just saying those kind of events that you know America rallies around. I know. I mean, we're getting off topic here, but it used to be there were you know four movies that played for three months, and there were four television channels. And I know. Everybody watched the, the same thing. Days. 
And now everything is so siloed and individualized. And now we're just a couple of old men just reminiscing <laughs> about the past. Okay, can I can I give one honorable mention? Yeah, honorable mention. Let's do it. Okay, because it is rare over the last ten or twelve years. I mean, really, since you could argue since Elf, there's not been a modern Christmas classic that's kind of come out. I mean, I've liked some of the movies, but in terms of one that's become iconic, yeah, I agree. I mean, Elf, Elf is the most is the it's the last movie. iconic Christmas movie, yeah. Hundred percent. I was stunned last year when a Christmas movie came out on HBO that I thought was fantastic. I don't, I'm not. It's probably not iconic. Called Eight Bit Christmas. I loved it. Yes, it was good. It was so great. It was really, really good, and it contained a lot of the elements. And again, and again, because it was kind of a, it was about a father with his daughter, kind of looking back to his childhood in the eighties when he, when he all he wanted was a, was a video game system. And so it was, it was a little bit of this like Wonder Years kind of throwback, looking back, narrated. This was my childhood kind of a feel. But I thought it has been so long since a movie like that has come out. And I just, I, I had no expectations. But when I saw it, I was just floored. I'm like, this was great. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's do a little bonus round just quickly. Give me a Christmas movie you hate that everyone else seems to love, if you can. And then what's a wild card kind of underrated or for you it's a favorite one you love that other people either don't consider a Christmas movie or, or don't particularly love. Okay. All joking aside, the biggest one for me is like a die hard is I, I just can't, <laughs> I can't justify that. I know it's around Christmas. Okay. I know it probably has more Christmas than it's a wonderful life. It does. It actually does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but I just, I can't get into all the explosions and how horrible yeah. you know, all the acting is and the whole, and I know that's part of it. That's part of the charm of it. I, I get all this that. is so offensive. <laughs> I know it is, but it's, but no, that is no, not a fair. heartwarming, a beautiful heartwarming. Are you kidding? I want, I want yeah, I, yeah, it's not. Oh, and, the weather uh, outside is frightful. <laughs> the snow starts falling at the end. He's hugging his, he's reunited to his wife that he's estranged from. It just feels like bad times is what it feels. Okay. The whole movie feels like bad times. All right. What was the other question? What, so, the, so that's one that you hate that everyone else loves or one that is a Christmas, that people think is a Christmas movie that, that you don't like. What's yeah. one that, yeah. And then what's one that you love that is kind of a wild card or underrated Christmas movie or one that other people don't like that you like? I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Okay. I'll tell you what, I don't, I will say this on, on the first tip and then I want to hear what you got. I'm not a huge fan of like, with the exception of things like Elf and like Fred Claus, I don't love the slapstick comedy Christmas okay. stuff. So let me qualify. I think Christmas Vacation is brilliant. Okay. I mean, it's there's nothing to argue about it, but I never watch it. Oh, interesting. Like, oh man. Every it's year, like a top yeah, five just, for me. It's it's kind of gross out a little bit to me. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't love it, you know, whatever. And so I, I never feel like watching it, mm. even though I'm with you, I'm not going to argue with anybody about how awesome it is. I mean, for what it is, it's brilliant. Okay. So, so it's that one. And I never watch, um, I never watch home alone. Um, because I think it's a little after my generation. It's like just on the heels of post my generation, yeah. you know? And again, it's one of those where I get the brilliance of it. I'm not saying it's not a good film, but I'm never drawn toward it like at all. And I think the biggest culprit for me, I'm sorry, I'm going to offend everyone. The one, the one that I don't understand. And again, I understand Die Hard because it's like so not Christmas. It's Christmas, but it's Christmas. I get all that. The one that just kills me, the one that destroys me, the one that I will have to fight to the death. The hill that I will die on is 
Muppet Christmas Carol. I don't get it. I do <laughs> not get it. You know what? It's not a good movie. It's not a good film. I'm, I'm, I just don't get it. I'm with you, which is surprising because I love the Muppets. I love the Muppet show. I love the first three, four Muppet movies. The latter ones are hit or miss for me. And I I didn't grow up seeing that one, the Christmas Carol thing. I didn't either, and, that's and I part wonder of if it. that's part of it. So yeah. when people are like, "This is the best," not only is the best, you know, best Muppet movie, it's the best Christmas, you know, you know movie, Christmas right Carol adaptation. That, that is so insulting when they say that's the best Christmas Carol movie. And I'm so like, I that's thought, not a movie. I I went to watch it like last year, a couple of years ago, because I hadn't seen it, and I was like, "It's actually wrong for me not to have seen this because I love the Muppets." Yeah. And I started watching. I was like, "It's not funny." It's not intri- – I, 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 didn't, I didn't like it. I, so I, Jared, I, I'm with I like you there. And I say that as a Muppets thing. guy, I didn't, no, it wasn't good. Muppet. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> I'm not anti-Muppet. Okay. I'm pro-Muppet, I man. <laughs> I'm pro-Muppet. We tried to watch it two years ago because it was the same thing. I was tired of all the hype. Yeah. I said, let's just watch it. We got 20 minutes into it, and I said, I can't. It's not good. Yeah. It's not funny. I, I'm bored. Like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm with you. So here's the one that everyone loves that I hate. And it's a similar thing where everyone like acts like this is the greatest thing. And there are whole channels <laughs> devoted to showing this movie over and over and over again. There's like marathons where they just oh, show I know movie. what you're going to say. I it's, know what you're going to say. It's a Christmas story. Yes. I hate this movie. And I did see it when I was a kid. And it has all of the elements of things that I should like. It's so nostalgic. It's all about nostalgia. Very wonder whole- it's, the whole yeah. thing is built around nostalgia, and the whole thing is built around a recollection of the 1950s. I mean, it has every ingredient is like, what kind of Christmas movie should we make that Jared Wilson will you, love? You should love it. You I should, should love, it. love this movie, and I hate it. I don't think it's funny. <laughs> They're not agreeable people. The kind of grumpy, it's just so, I don't want to say dark, because it's not dark in, in the sense that most people think about it. It's just so... I don't know. There's not a sweetness to it. It's just what I'm so, saying is this. It's you overly say, cynical. Let me. I, I don't disagree with you. I don't. Die I, Hard I, is I a probably, sweeter movie than Christmas Carol. Well, or I, Christmas I'm Story. not even gonna. I'm not even gonna go there with you on that. It's just. I think, but this is what we can agree on. When you walk away from Christmas Story, you don't have a good feeling inside after watching it. Yeah, it's just that's it's just, the thing. It, yeah. it doesn't fill you with anything pleasant and good and warm. And it, it doesn't do that for you, which I totally understand, yeah. which is like what Die Hard could never do that. I don't I walk get, away from it going, that's oh, I feel so good now. I just saw this <laughs> great, beautiful, moving film, you know. So yeah. I mean, the I building blows up and Ode to Joy is playing <laughs> at yeah, the same time. Yeah, that's just time. not the kind of Christmas memories I like to evoke. Yeah, yeah, not yeah so uh, Christmas Star, I'm sorry for all you fans out there. Uh, sorry, not sorry. It's just not good. It's just not funny. It's not interesting. Anyway, and then one that we love that's kind of a wild card. I, I won't say it's one we love that, that everybody else hates because I don't think – I just think people don't think about it is Serendipity. And it's a kind of a sentimental favorite oh. for my wife and I. It's not – it's kind of an outside-the-box Christmas movie. It's only Christmas. It's kind of a rom-com thing, Yes, right? it is. It's kind a romantic comedy Joe, with yeah. uh, John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. And yeah. it has kind of a – the real you know soulmate idea. It has – we don't believe in the theology of this film at all. <laughs> but it's funny and it's cute and it's romantic. And it starts at Christmas and it ends at Christmas. That's the only really yeah. Christmas content. The the whole wasn't it a remake? Was it a remake of an older film? I don't think so. I mean, there's oh, maybe okay. elements. 
of things to it. I, it has maybe elements of like shop around the corner or, or, or things like that, but it's not. No, I think it's an original. It's sort of like in the vein of like you got mail. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's basically this guy is is engaged, and then he meets this woman, you know, by happenstance, and they have a great moment, you know, ice skating, and they kind of walk around New York City. It's Christmas, and I mean, it just has the beautiful. Oh, I gotta see it. I've never seen it. Oh, it's so wonderful. And then as he's about to marry this um, other woman, he has concerns of like, what if she, if I, you know, if the real one's out there. And she's in a similar situation. And so it's like, all don't about, give it away. Don't give it yeah, away. it's about whether away. they're going to find each other. And it's got a great Jeremy Piven performance doing what he normally Did does. Did it come and, out in like 2005 or something like that? Was I think it, it was even those? before that. I think it was maybe even before 9-11 because I think the towers are in the movie, I think. It um, is easy to find out. Oh, yeah. You just look up IMDb. I want to say it's probably 2000, maybe. Okay. The first time my wife and I were ever in New York City, we actually went to the Serendipity Cafe. Yeah, 2001. Okay. To the Serendipity Cafe. So that, that's where they meet or that's where they go uh, to the Serendipity. Okay. It's called Serendipity Cafe. It's a little bakery, coffee shop thing. And they have a frozen hot chocolate. And that's what my wife and I did. And we sat at the exact same table. We sat at the same table <laughs> as John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. And we had a frozen hot nice. chocolate. And so it's just a personal favorite, a um, little outside the box thinking. Man, this has got it, man. me This has got me excited. We're recording this well in advance of Christmas. It'll be coming out, I think, Christmas week. But I'm ready to watch some of these Christmas movies and mm. get back in the spirit. Brother, it's always great talking with you. I always enjoy talking with you about anything, but certainly about Christmas. I love it. Love it. Dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, Merry Christmas, and may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 